0: The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. How much time? A
1: final vote begins in seven minutes.
0: Grayson to Orville, we're running out of time.
1: Stand by. Isaac, what's your status? I have gained access to the master feed. All right, Lasella, what kind of stuff would endear him to your people?
0: Um, you could say he supports his grandmother financially. Do it. But make sure you word it right. Like, say, oh my god, I just found out John Lamar supports his 90-year-old grandmother. Flooding the feed with 20 million entries. How can you do that? Babe, spaceship. All right, what else? If he was an overweight kid, that would help. Access childhood image of
1: John. Crap, that's no good. Isaac, can you make him fatter?
0: That's better. People will like him now.
2: Flooding the feed with the image. The entries are spreading and multiplying. People are sharing them.
0: What if people try to corroborate all this information? Don't worry. They
1: won't. final vote has begun.
2: Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, March 29, 2018. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Colour and colour into black and white. Under the bed clothes, everything will be alright. Social media has been getting a bad rap over the past few weeks in particular. And perhaps with good reason. But what's happening today in social media is really nothing new. Speaking of which. Don't forget, you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Subscribe to Just Right on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube and, of course, all of our past broadcasts. You know, the myth of the informed voter... Once voters have been turned into consumers of government services and not citizens. So this leads us to our bigger issue on the effect of social media on the democratic process. And I have to begin with some of the observations being made by the media itself. Beginning with Joseph Breen from the National Post, March 21st, 2018, under the heading How Voters' Buttons Are Pushed on Facebook. And he writes, quote, People generally do not know why they do anything, let alone why they vote. As the unfolding of Cambridge Analytica story is illustrating, humans are not the unpredictable wildcards of political campaigns. They are the most reliable part of the system, largely because they are slaves to their emotions. This is known as the hot cognition hypothesis, that thinking itself is charged with feeling and sensation. Voting is not just emotional, it is also rapid, instantaneous, and involves largely unconscious processes. As David Patrick Houghton, professor of national security affairs at the U.S. Naval War College, put it in the book, Political Psychology. Researchers have found that right-wingers tend to be tough, persistent, firm, reliable, loyal, orderly, careful, restrained, and decisive, while at the same time being rigid, anxious, conformist, Prejudiced, stubborn, moralistic, and closed-minded. Left-wingers tend to be enthusiastic, expressive, creative, curious imaginations, tolerant and free, while also being slovenly, indifferent, unpredictable, eccentric, uncontrolled, individualistic, and impulsive. Now, (laughs) you notice anything missing from the description of right-wingers and left-wingers by these so-called researchers? Think about it. They never once mentioned any ideas. The very abstractions that define what is right and what is left. So what they're doing is defining people by their character traits, not the ideas to which they adhere. And if if this is even accurate, then what they're saying, that the ideas of the right attract that character trait and the ideas of the left attract the other character trait. But what are those ideas? Your emotional feelings are based on what you think and on nothing else. And so the thought precedes the emotion. And what a lot of these researchers are thinking is instantaneous reactions and mindless reactions. It may be that, but it may also be the consequence of someone having already gone through the whole process of thinking out what they personally believe. So they can react quickly. And of course, in so doing, they can make a lot of mistakes. So based on the simple and utterly irrelevant to the issues criteria that they pick here, all these traits of people, apparently Cambridge Analytica, quote, could then weaponize these traits for use in its political consultancy. Notice the word weaponize because it speaks of basically violence in a way because violence is really what politics is all about. We'll be getting to that shortly. Now in an accompanying byline with the heading, the Zuckerberg tour, question mark, read the following article. Zuckerberg may have to do a tour of European parliaments to appease lawmakers. Damien Collins, head of a UK parliament committee, who has invited Zuckerberg to appear before it, said, It is now time to hear from a senior Facebook executive with the sufficient authority to give an accurate account of this catastrophic failure of process. Quote. And in another item under the byline Reaction, we see Philip James, an attorney specializing in privacy and cybersecurity at Sheridan's in London, said, quote, Reputationally, this seems catastrophic for Facebook, regardless of whether it is found to be innocent or not. End quote. <laughs> I think that innocent or not speaks to the whole essence of the issue. Then, just for good measure, there's this piece by Andrew Coyne in the March 24th National Post commentary with the heading, Pessimists Might Be Right About Dire Effect of Social Media, in which he notes, quote, A growing number of commentators have concluded that social media, shorthand for Facebook, Twitter, and Google, are more a force for harm than for good, whether in their own lives or society at large. And stretching far beyond overt abuses of social media are those effects that arise from ordinary, everyday use, By hundreds of millions of subscribers, and he describes them thusly. The polarization of society into silos of ideological or identity group affinity. Well, that's nothing new. Humans have been like that since, well, the tribe. That's tribalism. The coarsening of debate when partisans of one group or another fling insults back and forth from behind a wall of anonymity. Well, the anonymity is something new, but the coarseness of debate is nothing new. And he continues, the self-censorship many observe on controversial subjects out of fear of being mobbed. Well, we sure know about that one. The dumbing down of complex subjects within the confines of a 140 or 280 character limit. And the spreading of false information and the addictiveness of social media and the isolation from ordinary social interactions that can result. It's entirely possible, he concludes in some, that social media has plunged us irrevocably into a dark and frightening age of unreason. Well, I don't know that social media has done that. I think social media has reflected where we are already at. Finally, we can look at ourselves in the mirror. But there are just a few of the introductory thoughts that the media has been going through over this latest Facebook kerfuffle. But they're not the only ones. This past weekend, I heard an interesting news item, so I had to follow it up. And it's about someone named Lisa Helps, and that's spelled H-E-L-P-S. And Lisa Helps is the mayor of Victoria, British Columbia. As we return from the other side of this upcoming bumper, we'll be hearing from CBC Radio 1, Victoria, B.C., On the Island, hosted by Gregor Craigie, interview with Victoria Mayor Lisa Helps, explaining why this past week that she announced she's quitting Facebook.
1: Okay, it is voting time, audience, and you folks at home. Here we go. Do you believe John's apology? Sound off now. Damn it. Now what? Well, that's it. Now he goes back to detention to wait for the final summary vote. And then? Well, if he stays below 10 million downvotes before the tour window elapses, he's fine. But honestly, I've never seen anyone above 9 million at this stage who came out uncorrected. So what are we up against?
0: This whole society seems to operate on some kind of point system. I mean, these badges everyone wears, the feet on every wall, John's arrest.
2: Okay, you guys here. You got five minutes.
0: Okay, they just brought him out. I gotta go. I'll contact you when I can. Grace it out. Lieutenant, are you okay?
1: Yeah, I'm all right, but, Commander, this is crazy. You want me to do some kind of apology tour that's supposed to decide if I'm
0: guilty or not? Well, that fits right in with everything else about this place.
1: Facebook has no doubt changed the way we communicate with friends and family, along with politicians and public figures. But has that change all been for the better? Uh, We've heard a lot over the past few days about people considering giving up Facebook. Now Victoria's mayor says she's quitting. Mayor Lisa helps us on the phone to tell us why. Mayor Helps, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. So why have you decided to quit Facebook?
0: Uh, Well, there are three main reasons which are laid out really clearly in my blog post. Uh, The first is that it's become kind of a negative echo chamber uh, where positivity is is, uh, shunned uh, in favor of fear and and anger, and I don't think that's healthy for the community. Um, Secondly, uh, it's addictive, uh, and again, research that I cite on my blog shows just how addictive. And third, and and most concerning, um, social media, Facebook, and kind of continual digital distraction is actually shriveling our brains uh, in in the prefrontal cortex area, and we need our brains for thinking and connection and and empathy. So, you know, those are the main reasons. Um, We're all always continually distracted, and how can we solve the big challenges if we can't focus and if we can't uh, have a civil conversation?
1: But why quit it rather than use it responsibly? I I can't help but wonder if it's like a lot of of technological advancements uh, over the ages that have uh, both drawbacks, but serious benefits as well. Surely you and many of us have benefited from Facebook to some extent, haven't you?
0: Absolutely. And again, on my on my blog, which if people want to read, I would suggest reading the whole thing. It's detailed and it's well-researched. It's lisahelpsvictoria.ca. Um, at, at one point, I, I, I agree, Facebook was possible to use constructively, um, but, you know, Facebook has changed, and the, the algorithms that Facebook uses um, actually perpetuate uh, the sharing of negativity, the sharing of fear, the sharing of anger. So I've witnessed on my own Facebook page and others, uh, even when there's a, a, you know, a conversation that, that's a dialogue. You know, someone says something positive and then someone else chimes in with something negative and the whole thing degrades from there. So I, I don't know that it's actually possible with the way that the algorithms are currently set up to use Facebook in a productive way.
1: Now, why do you think that might be, though? I mean, it's one thing to to blame it on algorithms, but I wonder how much is is human behavior. I mean, those sorts of behaviors, uh, a a lot of people would argue, existed before Facebook, particularly in politics. What is it uniquely about Facebook that's making it harmful?
0: Um, I, I think that you know those those behaviors uh, may have existed um, but we still had the ability to have uh, civil conversations with each other We still had the ability to sit down in a room together and have dialogue about really important issues and of course we still have that you know I'm, I'm not saying that's completely gone but I think Facebook is infecting um, people's ability to uh, to to, to think through issues with a really wide perspective rather than making up their minds really quickly. And then, again, the algorithms on Facebook are set up to, to basically create echo chambers. So to, to filter your news feed with content that affirms the positions you already hold rather than, you know, being a place where new ideas can be explored. And I, I just I don't think that's healthy for for civil society. I have found, uh, and the research shows, and again, my, my blog is quite well-researched, that, that Facebook in particular is hampering rather than helping our ability to have a conversation as a community about really difficult issues. And if we can't have a conversation and if we don't have collective focus, I, I think you know that's very worrisome from the point of how do we grapple with all the big issues that are facing us as, as civil society in the 21st century.
2: So I guess you could ask yourself the question, how can anybody face off with Facebook, and what do you do when Facebook gives you these kinds of problems? I got this one from a 2016 report from CBC News that was reported by Yvette Brend way back in May 29th of 2016, and apparently Lisa Helps had some earlier problems with Facebook that was not discussed in the conversation we just heard. And the heading read, Victoria Mayor says she was blocked from Facebook for inappropriate quote-unquote name. (laughs) Victoria BC Mayor Lisa Helps says she was blocked from Facebook for using her own real name. It told me the name I've chosen is not appropriate, said Helps. The mayor was forced to substitute her middle name to reactivate her account on May 29th after city staff and even the Victoria Police Department tried for nine days to fix the problem. Helps said she got no response from Facebook, despite filling out electronic forms twice. She said Facebook is a key tool she uses to reach the public. Facebook toughened its name policy in 2014, sparking protests and frustration, especially amongst people hiding their real names to avoid online bullying. Since Lisa Helps is the mayor's real name, she's not sure why she was shut down. She wonders if she was perhaps targeted by somebody claiming her account was fake. As a public figure, people like to take swipes at me in any way they can, said the mayor. Others posted in support using the hashtag Lisa Helps is real in an attempt to get the attention of Facebook executives helps assured CBC that this really was her. She plans to send Facebook a copy of her birth certificate and sort the matter out eventually if Facebook ever responds. CBC emails to Facebook have so far not been returned. Now that was written back in 2016. And here is an interesting policy statement from CBC itself, which in many ways speaks to the essence of our problem today. Here's what The disclaimer at the bottom of their post read, quote, to encourage thoughtful and respectful conversations. First and last names will appear with each submission to CBC Radio Canada's online communities and pseudonyms will no longer be permitted. Interesting. Because what they're doing is changing a public forum into a private one, and yet they are a public broadcaster. Now the problem was faced by Lisa Helps are not unique to her experience. Robert Vaughn and I have experienced these very issues firsthand, but I'm beginning to believe that what we're dealing with is something far more fundamental and universal and huge than the symptoms we see and witness in, in the various social media, particularly Facebook. And it got me thinking. Think about what the word social means when it's placed as an adjective in front of the word justice. Social justice. Well, it means not justice, doesn't it? Since justice is strictly an individualistic concept, and to make it social is to negate what it means. After all, only individuals can be held responsible for their choices and actions. A group can't. Members of a group can. Individuals within a group can. But the group itself cannot. It doesn't have an identity that can be acted against or for. So, too, the word social... When placed as an adjective in front of the word media, quote-unquote, it means not media. Seriously. Certainly in the traditional sense of what a public media once meant, let alone what a news media meant, as in the fourth estate. You see, no one in social media speaks as a member of the fourth estate. And the fourth estate is distinguished from the others as being the eyes and ears of the public those people who have who have earned a reputation for repeatedly investigating and reporting on issues and, and events that the public simply cannot have access to with some degree of right reliability because simply it's impossible for all of us to be everywhere all the time to keep an eye on all the important issues and developments of the day that we should if, if if we were able to do so. But I can't, you know, fly up to Ottawa every day or fly down to Washington or travel across the country. We depend on the people who report these events to us to do so with some degree of accuracy. They're certainly entitled to their opinions. Their opinions can very much differ with my own. But as long as I know I can rely on that reporter for reporting the facts accurately, I accept that person as a reliable member of the Fourth Estate. Now, if the word social was meant to reflect community, then even here, theory and practice are in conflict, aren't they? A community is a given number of people with a common interest or a common value. And the word social doesn't imply any such commonality. It might include it, but it doesn't define it. It's not the precursor. It's not the defining criteria. The term social encompasses just about you know, everybody and anybody, and particularly attracts people of differing and conflicting values into the quote-unquote social arena. So you, you won't find the same dynamic working in the minds of most people who are going down to visit the community center, for example, <laughs> be it online or down at the neighborhood school. Social says nothing about commonality, about values, interests, or any other such quality, it just means group. I find it interesting, too, that in terms of, if I was to compare, and we've done this before, uh, the social media that we see online with the media that Robert and I experience feedback from in terms of the shortwave community. Wow, is it ever different. The shortwave community, they're the friendliest people who will ever write you, even if they disagree with you. They always say hi, they say bye, they identify who they are, and they're always very pleasant because they're members of a community. What, what is the opposite of social or public? Well, it would be individual or private, wouldn't it? So what we need is a public-private media, meaning a media forum in which the conversations are open to any relevant opinions, but must be conducted according to pre-established civilized rules of debating. You don't like the rules, you don't participate. Social alone implies no rules whatever. And they get made up as you go along, which we see is what's happening in social media. And that's exactly how it works in practice. Which is why the court of public opinion is certainly no place to discover truths. Now we've had some interesting experience in this whole social media issue on our own. This, was, this resulted particularly from our last two weeks shows that were done on the Ontario election and in which we targeted on Facebook boosting to, to groups who would consider themselves conservative. At least that's how Facebook defined them. Well, we got some pretty bad feedback on that that <laughs> sounded just like the mad people who wrote us who were on the left. And it was very interesting to hear. And what a study it is in social psychology. So before we get into the feedback selections, let's just review exactly what we posted last week because most of the people didn't listen to the previous two shows, they just reacted to our post which was sitting there right plain in front of them. If they just scroll down from the top to the bottom, they could have read it. And it's the one last week in particular that read Inconvenient Truths About Ontario's Progressive Conservative Party. Now, you can go online and read it for yourself, but basically, the inconvenient truths we listed were among these, and we just listed them, and these are factual. We discussed them all on the show last week if you want to hear a broader discussion of this. But here they are, and... To this date, we have yet to have a single person refute any of these. The Progressive Conservatives introduced rent controls, in 1975, under Bill Davis. The Progressive Conservatives created the Liquor Control Board of Ontario, the LCBO, a state monopoly that sells alcohol at inflated and artificially high prices and which prohibits free market sales. The Progressive Conservatives created the Beer Store, a now foreign-owned by private interest monopoly on beer sales in the province, 1927 under Howard Ferguson. The Progressive Conservatives established the Ontario Human Rights Commission founded on the divisive and racist principle of identity politics and group rights, 1961 under Leslie Ford, and I know all about that, I'm the first person in Ontario to have won a case in front of the Ontario Human Rights Commission. And you wouldn't believe how people write to me to say I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's that, that's the humor in in social media. The Progressive Conservatives created a universal single-payer healthcare system, introduced as Medicare in 1957, under the leadership of Leslie Frost, and as OHIP in the 1960s under PC leaders John Robarts and Bill Davis, and which has caused today's chronic underfunding, quote unquote, of healthcare. The progressive conservatives abolished private health care insurance options in conjunction with establishing a single-payer system, meaning that they prohibited anyone else from the, than the government from paying for health care or putting money into the system. No wonder we don't have any money. The Progressive Conservatives introduced Ontario's Provincial Income Tax as a means of paying for the state health care monopoly. The Conservatives established Ontario's hydro monopoly under Sir James Whitney, which has led to the most unaffordable and costly electric prices ever experienced by Ontarians. It came in as power at cost. The Progressive Conservatives established TV Ontario in 1970 under John Robarts, which is a completely state-controlled and taxpayer-funded TV network which today opposes anything conservative or anything on the right, won't even allow Freedom Party to appear because we don't believe in climate fighting, the Progressive Conservative. It's a myth that the party is fiscally conservative. Under even the PC leadership of Mike Harris, who was the slash-and-burn right-winger, Ontario's debt grew from $90.7 billion to $132 billion, with no PC government ever having reduced spending or debt in the past. The progressive conservative interpretation of fiscal responsibility means state control of the economy, not free markets, and that's exactly what they do. And the current progressive conservative support, as does Doug Ford, the soon-to-be-established government not monopoly on cannabis sales. So those were the basic facts that we listed.
0: And there's great concern about the level of contamination Due to industrial waste in the South Madaka reservoir, but you can't deny
1: facts. Seventy-four percent of the population has voted that assessment false. I mean, facts are facts. I guess what I'm having a little bit of trouble with here is how you could have done something like this in the first place. I mean, please. Help me understand what was going through your minds at the time. We weren't paying attention. And I know I speak for both of us when I say that if I had it to do over again, I would absolutely do things differently.
2: I would be much more aware.
0: Because you got caught or because you feel ashamed? I feel ashamed. I'm ashamed of my behavior and I'm deeply, deeply sorry. Yeah, we were all going to go to Kylan's after work if you want to come. Me too. I mean, no. you can invite her if you want. I'm just kind of over her right now. Well, she's just been kind of like a really bad friend to all our other friends, you know. I mean, she got 15 downvotes last week, so that tells you something.
2: That's about all the time we have
0: for Lewis and Tom, so please don't forget to cast your votes now. How do you think that? You have works? the breakfast one. Yeah, but I missed the first part. No. What they do? And that one guy has really weird eyes. Hmm. I don't know. He just seems kind of shady. Yeah, I was gonna wear the blue one, but then I totally forgot. I let Jessica borrow it, and now she's out of town. <laughs> I know, right? Bitch, she is so getting a down vote when she gets back.
1: Final vote has begun.
2: Author of God of the Machine, Isabel Patterson, always warned us that it is an error to say that government is force. Force is what is governed. And at its best an ideal, that is all that government can do and does do. There are no exceptions to this rule. The law is that discipline which sets out all of our parameters for the just use of force in society. And that's what it's always about. So when you go to the, when you go to the polls, remember this. You are voting for how to use force against your fellow citizen. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And we'd like to thank our financial supporters who make it possible for us to continue on our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. And no, we are not funded by the liberals. And no, we're not funded by all the groups that you'll hear our feedback people suggest that we're funded by. That's ridiculous. It's your money we count on. And if you want to fight some of these issues, that's the best way to do it, is to get the word out there. So visit W. Just write to offer your financial support, and while you're there, be sure to sample some of our timeless past archive broadcasts featuring discussions of all things right about freedom and capitalism, and make sure you share them because boy do people ever need that information. So you see, politics is at its core a very violent undertaking. To pretend otherwise is to opt for the ostrich approach. Just bury your head in the sand so as to see nothing and hear nothing, and that's pretty much how most people are, even according to the studies we cited earlier. And if you're wondering about government being forced, remember it's not necessarily a gun right to your head on the first day. I mean income taxes are a form of forced spending. So are government deficits and debts. And so is state monetary inflation. All of these are forced spending and it eventually takes its toll on the masses as happens in all collectivist societies. And then the next inevitable stage is something that nobody likes to talk about, forced earning or forced working. Because once you start forced spending, eventually you don't have enough Peters to pay Paul and you've got to start forcing people to work. Oh, you could start with workfare, let's say, in order to justify a social benefit. Social benefit, you see that? The historical name for the condition of mankind that I am describing right now is called slavery. But speaking of the whole idea of government and politics and force, I just had to bring in, before I get to the, to the feedback, this headline, Political Fight Club, from the National Post of March 23rd, written by Michael Higgins. The subheading reads, Trump-Biden spat reflects state of discourse in 2018. And reads, Well, he started it. America got a foretaste of how the 2020 U.S. presidential election race could shape up as Donald Trump and Joe Biden, both septagenarians, threatened to physically attack each other. Quote, a guy who ended up becoming our national leader said, I can grab a woman anywhere and she likes it. If he were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him, said the Democrat. I've been in a lot of locker rooms in my whole life, Biden continued. I'm a pretty darn good athlete. Any guy that talked that way was usually the fattest, ugliest SOB in the room. To which Trump replies, Crazy Joe Biden is trying to act like a tough guy. Actually, he's weak, both mentally and physically. And yet he threatens me for the second time with physical assault? He doesn't know me, but he would go down fast and hard, crying all the way. Don't threaten people, Joe, said the Republican president. Dan Baltz writing in the Washington Post was disgusted with the tone of the language. That is what passes for political discourse these days. Two grown men acting like macho little boys. People do expect more of their leaders. Another is the apparent glorification of violence, reveling in the equivalent of a political fight club. Now I don't know how many of these feedback items I'm going to be able to fit into our time allotted, but I'm going to try and get through as many as I can to give you a flavor of just what is happening out there. And then we'll be wrapping up the show with a conclusion of why these people act the way they do. And why they can't answer questions, why they won't answer questions, why they're all so mean, why they're all so angry at everything, and why they have no answers. There are reasons for that. So where shall we begin? Let's see here. Now, a lot of these comments have to do with our topics of last week and the week before, and although I'm responding to them, that's not our focus today. I'm more interested in focusing on the conversation itself and how it takes place, because that's the interesting aspect about this whole exchange. Now, these are all from Facebook posts, most of them. Gary M. says, the biggest threat to the world today is right-wing ideology. Remember, this is the post I, I read before the break. To which we replied, specifically, what ideology is that? If by right-wing you mean freedom and capitalism, then clearly you are demonstrably mistaken. If you mean right-wing as practiced by leftist parties, we completely agree with you. And he writes back, By right-wing, get this, I mean that you're immersed in a psychopathic mindset. You lack the traits that define what it means to be truly human. It's a brain defect that prevents you from level-headed thought and reasoning. You mistake the idea of freedom with the idea of right-wing fascism for anyone who opposes your ideology. Capitalism is destroying the world with its greed and ignorance. (laughs) Can you believe it? To which we reply... Ignorance is the operative word here. Ayn Rand's books, Capitalism, The Unknown Ideal, which speaks directly to that ignorance, and The Virtue of Selfishness, which speaks directly to the greed he raised, long ago demonstrated how ideas like those you've raised are just wrong. But thanks for letting us know that your definition of right-wing is merely your own subjective hatred being expressed in an irrational way. You know, Gary's attacking the messenger as being psychopathic and not truly human. Well, even if that were true, it still wouldn't change the facts, which have not even been addressed and never will by people like this. The truth stands alone, with or without psychopaths. Another poster commented, quote, you must think conservatives are stupid. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And how we're attacking the PC party, but we're not being very persuasive. Well, to that I can only say, no, conservatives aren't stupid. They're just statists. And some of the most intelligent people in the world are communists, fascists, socialists, and even murderers. It's got nothing to do with intelligence. The problem's moral, not intellectual, and that's what's missing here. And the problem is that conservatives, despite all their claims of various personal moralities, do not behave so in the political marketplace. They're just no different than the lefties. They debate the same way, they vote for the same things, and complain about all the things they vote for in between elections. So if a simple list of verifiable facts is not persuasive, then what else can possibly be? PCs persuade through misrepresenting themselves as an option on the right, and they've got a steady track record of flip-flops and outright support of leftist ideologies. And we're not asking that anyone vote for Freedom Party, even though we support Freedom Party. And we even stated that if you're truly progressive, then the PC Party's a party for you, so vote for them, you know? But if you're concerned with changing the direction of Ontario's government, I don't think the PC Party's that vehicle, that's all we're saying. It's got nothing to do with Ford, all you Ford Nation weirdos. What are you talking about? You know, like everyone else who's objected to our statement of facts, every response has been one that attacks the messenger and is totally ignorant of the message and ignores it entirely. Now, in traditional politics, successful persuasion has been accomplished by lying, cheating, and misrepresentation. That's obviously what works and appears to be what these people are looking for. But sorry you won't find any of that persuasive BS on our site for the simple reason that, as we say each week, we're not right-wing, we're just right. And as for a meaning of what being politically right means, we would direct everyone to our post and broadcast that explains what is left and what is right using clear and valid terms. And that, of course, was our show dealing with the broken political compass. Check it out online. Brian C. wrote, Everything on that list used to work just fine until the liberals mismanaged all those programs. (laughs) To which we responded, They still work just fine. What doesn't work? But they work fine at turning Ontario into a socialist, fascist nightmare of the left. You know, robbing Peter to pay Paul works fine. Until there are no Peters left. The Peters were best represented by the legendary character of Atlas, who was forced to carry the weight of a world that wanted something for nothing. And hence, that—that that is the cover you find on the Freedom Party of Ontario's 2018 election platform, which clearly targets Wynne's liberal government as the one that needs to be shrugged off, but not by a party that's just like hers. And what's amazing is how all these people are defending the very policies that are left-wing that were put in place by the PCs, and they have no qualms with it. They think, oh, that's a good idea, that's why I'm voting PC. Taylor S. wrote, Nazis don't actually sit on the left. The social conservatives, which are right, use the same Nazi philosophy such as anti-immigration and other social issues. As you stated, you said freedom of the market, which is why both conservatives and liberals sold hydro. This is proof. This is facts. You cannot state you are well-researched when even the greater electorate is blatantly obvious of this move. Well, to Taylor, I had to respond. First, it's a long and well-established fact that the Nazis were a socialist party of the left. I mean, it's in their name, for heaven's sakes. But here's where people get confused about right and right and left wing. This writer obviously thinks that privatization has something to do with what determines right and left, and it doesn't. It does not. The sale of hydro components to private interests in no way suggests the establishment of a free market. The government continues to give these private interests a state-enforced monopoly, price controls, etc. It's like the beer store, just like the LCBO. Beer stores are privately owned, but that's a government monopoly. You know, there's no such thing as a monopoly that isn't government enforced. See if you can find one. That was one of the big issues that converted me to the whole freedom side of the equation when I was a young fool like a lot of these people. The word free in free market means free from coercion on the part of either private interests or of the government itself. And socialism and communism and fascism differ only in one respect, and that's how they view private property ownership. The first represents ownership and control of the means of production, while the second, fascism, represents private ownership, but state control of that private property. And both of those views sit on the left. You know, as one of our listeners, Trevor D. and thank you for this, Trevor, has reminded us, he sent us this quote, and guess who this quote's from? Quote, We ask that government undertake the obligation above all of providing citizens with adequate opportunity for employment and earning a living. The activities of the individual must not be allowed to clash with the interests of the community, but must take place within the confines and be good for all. Therefore we demand an end to the power of financial interest. We demand profit-sharing in big business. We demand a broad extension of care for the aged. We demand the greatest possible consideration of small business in the purchases of the national, state, and municipal governments. In order to make possible to every capable and industrious citizen the attainment of higher education, and thus the achievement of a post of leadership, the government must provide an all-around enlargement of our system of public education. We demand the education at government expense of gifted children of poor parents. The government must undertake the improvement of public health by protecting mother and child, by prohibiting child labor, by the greatest possible support for all groups concerned with the physical education of youth. We combat the materialistic spirit within and without us and are convinced that a permanent recovery of our people can only proceed from within on the foundation of the common good before the individual good, End quote. So where is that from? the planks of the Nationalist Socialist Party of Germany, adopted in Munich on February 24th, 1920. And asks Trevor, who sent us this quote, Does this sound familiar? (laughs) Sure does. Bill C. writes, Fake news! (laughs) To which we respond, Fake news? Are you kidding me? It's not news at all, it's old, put in quotation mark, O-L-D-S. And with a little smiley face, you know our post isn't news; it's a mere statement of historically verifiable facts on record, spanning you know a little bit about a century or more. People who cry fake news are the ones attempting to fake it by passing judgments without evidence or even attempting an argument. None of these fakers have cited a single example of something fake in either our post or in our broadcast so Irrationally screaming fake news as a response to anything said with which one may disagree is simply the coward's way of accusing the messenger of being a liar, something which might otherwise be subject to libel or slander laws. Shame on them all. Shame on all these people who scream this. Fake news is an oxymoronic term, as we demonstrated in our blog post and broadcast of January 12th last year. Then Gerald B. writes, Give it up, Marxists, you have no qualification, to which we responded, Brilliant reply, Gerald. Of course, neither your qualifications to express ignorant and uninformed opinions, nor our qualifications spanning over 30 years of direct informed experience and involvement in these issues has any effect whatever on the facts, and that's a fact. (laughs) They still sit there glaringly in our post available to everyone to investigate for themselves. And nobody did. Not a a one. If you find any evidence to the contrary of anything we stated, be sure to let us know and we'll pass it on. We've asked that of so many people. You think one would even oblige us? And then Gerald has the nerve, the nerve to write back this. My initial comment still stands. You are irrelevant. Go somewhere else. (laughs) So I had to... You know, I just had to take the gloves off and tell them what I thought. I said, look, it's amazing how so many people who would claim that we are irrelevant, and to what? I have no idea. We're not running in an election. This is a radio show. Uh, You know, how they go into this blind frenzy to repeatedly tell us how we're irrelevant. That's how irrelevant you are when somebody's going nuts about what you're saying and has to tell you over and over and over again. That's relevance. Sounds just like the Trump derangement syndrome to me. But even worse, give your head a shake, Gerald. This is our site, not yours. You're the guest here, not us. We're not going anywhere. This is our home. And if you wish to discontinue using our home, our Facebook page, to express your blind rage, you're the one who needs to go somewhere else. Wow. The gall. (laughs) Simply
0: unbelievable. Hey, guys, I am so, so sorry about what happened. Well, thank you. We're optimistic that he'll be okay. Who? John, our friend who got arrested. You're kidding me, right? Oh my, no, screw that guy. Why would you ever want to talk to him again? I mean, he got a million downvotes. Right, yes, and that's bad. I mean, it's like you never really know somebody, mm. you know? I actually thought he was cute when he first came in here. Ugh. God, that makes my skin crawl. Mine too. Really, really gross guy. Listen, Lucella, about our friends who got corrected. Oh my god, that's right. Holy crap, you guys have had a really bad month, huh?
2: What's is what? <laughs> Please, Colonel Holmes. Schultz, and... <laughs> how else do we get the tank in? So we can take it apart. Oh, no. I don't see anything. I hear nothing.
0: Sergeant. <laughs> What's his name? Schultz. I have uncovered a plot to... And that is why you hear nothing and you see nothing. Herr this is a speech problem. I sometimes speak... I say things I do not know what I
2: say.
1: He's right, Lieutenant Newkirk. I urge leniency for this man on the grounds of general incompetence.
0: That's right.
2: You know, some people see nothing because they're incapable of seeing it, particularly if what they are expected to see is an abstraction and not some concrete. Let's take a look at a few more of our responses that we've gotten to our post, because they speak tomes in terms of not just what they say, but how they say it. This one from Stephen T. Desperation has set into the liberals. They now have to go back decades to try and find something to bring down the conservatives. So we responded, well, the liberals aren't doing anything like what you've just suggested. We are doing it, and we're not liberals. But here's the point. Stephen's comment reflects an evil that motivates the left, and that is the willful dismissal of history. But why would anyone think that you could possibly dismiss the reputation, the philosophy, and the history of a political party whose cultural roots span back to the days of Confederation itself. Unless you know those things, you'll remain ignorant with regards to the true identity of the PCs. Here's where your identity politics plays a legitimate role. And you'll have willfully blinded yourself to information that everyone needs to make a rational choice at the polls in any election. And the policies to which we refer, the historic policy, they're still being adhered to and they're being expanded. And ideologies behind all of those historical events are even more prevalent in the PC party today than they were then. Do not these people realize that? You see how... I can't even explain how stupid their point of view is. It's hard to, it's hard to grasp. But consider this. If the facts we've presented warrant, as the writer has said, quote-unquote, bringing down the Conservatives, then isn't that a clear admission that those facts justify bringing that party down? I didn't say anything about bringing down the Conservatives. I said, look, here's the facts. And he says, oh, you're just trying to bring down the Conservatives. Well, that means that those facts, if true, would warrant a bringing down of the Conservatives. Hello? It's amazing what people say to themselves without hearing it they can't even grasp their own abstractions june a writes just right never heard of attrition <laughs> i don't know what that's got to do with anything but you know attrition is what is happening to the right but if you're talking about attrition in the public service yes we have heard of attrition and the one thing we know about it is that it has never resulted in lower taxes or in a more responsible government. (laughs) Here's fella Keith L. He goes, okay, first off this guy actually addressed the issues. He says, first off, you're against rent controls? If the government hadn't stepped in, we would be in an even worse situation than we already are. Well, first of all, I was in the landlord business at the time the government stepped in and I got out of the landlord business when the government did this. Housing stopped, uh, the availability dropped, This is just totally incorrect in historical terms, economic terms, and political terms. Secondly, Keith writes, you want to criticize the PC party for creating the beer store in 1927? How far back are you going to go? Well, we're going to go back as far as is necessary to illustrate the consistent philosophy and political direction of that party. And the fact that they still support the beer store today, which is a private monopoly. Why wouldn't someone who's on the right, who calls himself conservative... Be right out there in the front and say, we're going to end this monopoly and let mom-and-pop stores sell whatever the heck they want. I'm not hearing that. And you're against OHIP, he says? We never said anything about being against OHIP. What we said was that the PC's established OHIP and banned private competition. We're in favor of competition. Not a single-payer government-run monopoly. And anyone who wants OHIP coverage can continue to have it. And nobody's ever said anything about that. He says, I'm not a supporter of the PC party, but I can get behind every one of these ideas. Well, of course you can. You're on the left. They're all left ideas. That's why you generally don't support the PC party. But what have you just said about that party? You've just told everyone else that that's the party of the left. The Freedom Party, my ass, he writes, you can go pound sand. (laughs) Yeah, hi Keith. God loves you too. Then there's Jackie L. who writes, These idiots from Just Right is part of Lead Now, who gets their funding from outside sources who are 100% liberal supporters. They're too stupid to know they can't stop. Hashtag Ford Nation. Ignore them. Okay, Jackie. You know, we continue to be amazed by how many people, or maybe just trolls like Jackie, can possibly feel comfortable posting in public outright lies and fabrications like Just Write is part of the lead now who gets their funding from outside sources who 100% liberal supporters. I'd never even heard of that group until these people started writing. I've got to get a touch with them. Maybe they'll give us some money. But since this is patently false and could never be so, shame on Jackie for posting maliciously false information. Shame on you, Jackie, and I said so on Facebook. For our part, we now know that anything else Jackie posts will be BS, since she's already demonstrated she has no moral conscience about doing so. Produce the evidence, there is none. Gee, simply pitiful. And of course our particular group of respondents that we've been looking at today, as I said before, they don't even see the concretes. And there's a reason for this, and for that we turn to philosopher-novelist Ayn Rand who pretty well summarized the whole phenomenon in her essay on social metaphysics, which was written over half a century ago. And I'm going to be quoting from her essay, so if I interject my own points here and there, I'll leave it to you to figure out which are my words and hers, because what she says here is so well written and hits the nail so on the head, I just had to put in every one of these comments. And she begins this way, quote, A social metaphysician is one who regards the consciousness of other men as superior to his own and to the facts of reality. It is to a social metaphysician that the moral appraisal of himself by others is a primary concern which supersedes truth, fact, reason, and logic. The disapproval of others is so shatteringly terrifying to him that nothing can withstand its impact within his consciousness." Thus he would deny the evidence of his own eyes and invalidate his own consciousness for the sake of any stray charlatan's moral sanction. It is only a social metaphysician who could conceive of such absurdities as hoping to win an intellectual argument by hinting, quote, but people won't like you, end quote. We have all met the exasperating type of person who does not listen to what one says, but to the emotional vibrations of one's voice, anxiously translating them into approval or disapproval, and then answering accordingly. And thus, when he meets an adversary, when his premises are challenged, he resorts automatically to the weapon that terrifies him most, the withdrawal of moral sanction. In other words, you get a (laughs) downvote. Since that kind of terror is unknown to psychologically healthy people, they may be taken in by the argument from intimidation precisely because of their innocence. Unable to understand that the argument's motive, or to believe that it is merely a senseless bluff, they assume that the user has some sort of knowledge or reasons to back up his seemingly self-confident, belligerent assertions that give him benefit of the doubt and are left in helplessly bewildered confusion. It is thus that the social metaphysicians can victimize the young, the innocent, and the conscientious. This is exactly what we see happening in social media. And notice it's social metaphysics. It means not metaphysics. This is particularly prevalent in college classrooms, writes Ayn Rand. Now, this was written half a century ago. It could be our campuses today. Many professors use the argument from intimidation to stifle independent thinking among the students, to evade questions they cannot answer, to discourage any critical analysis of their arbitrary assumptions, or any departure from the intellectual status quo. Aristotle? My dear fellow. A weary sigh. If you had read Professor Spifkin's piece in... Reverently, the January 1912 issue of Intellect Magazine, which, contemptuously, you obviously haven't, you would know, airily, that Aristotle has been refuted. (laughs) In our political life, she writes, and that's what we're talking about, the argument from intimidation is the almost exclusive method of discussion. Hello, welcome to Facebook. Here is a description of Facebook from Ayn Rand, who never ever saw a Facebook page in her life. Quote, Predominantly, today's political debates consist of smears and apologies, or intimidation and appeasement. The first is, usually, though not exclusively, practiced by the liberals, and the second by the conservatives. Quote, unquote, to each. The champions, in this respect, are the liberal Republicans who practice both the first towards their conservative fellow Republicans, the second towards the Democrats. Hello, Donald Trump, who Ayn Rand never met and never knew as a presidential candidate. She continues, All smears are arguments from intimidation. They consist of derogatory assertions without any evidence or proof. Hmm, where have we heard them? Offered as a substitute for evidence or proof, aimed at the moral cowardice or unthinking credulity of the hearers. The argument from intimidation is not new. It has been used in all ages and cultures, but seldom on so wide a scale as today. It is used more crudely in politics and other fields of activity, but it is not confined to politics. It permeates our entire culture. And get this it is a symptom of cultural bankruptcy. How does one resist that argument? She asks. There's only one weapon against it. Moral certainty. When one enters any intellectual battle, big or small, public or private, one cannot seek, desire, or expect the enemy's sanction. Let's face it, we put our Facebook post right into the camp of the enemy, which was the PCs and conservatives, as identified by Facebook, and we hope they're identifying them correctly, because if they're not, Facebook has a lot of other sins to be held accountable for. (laughs) Let me emphasize, she says, that the argument from intimidation does not consist of introducing moral judgment into intellectual issues, but of substituting moral judgment for intellectual argument. Moral evaluations are implicit in most intellectual issues. It's not merely permissible, but mandatory to pass moral judgment when and where appropriate. To suppress such judgment is an act of moral cowardice. But a moral judgment must always follow, not precede or supersede, the reasons on which it's based. When one gives reasons for one's verdict, one assumes responsibility for it and lays oneself open to objective judgment. If one's reasons are wrong or false, one suffers the consequences. But to condemn without giving reasons is an act of irresponsibility, a kind of moral hit-and-run driving, which is the essence of the argument from intimidation. In moral and intellectual issues, it is not enough to be right. One has to know that one is right. And right now, the main fact that I'm aware of being right on is that we're out of time again for this week's broadcasts. So, join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Into color, color into black and white.
0: Bad Everything will be right. Report! How can I make a report when number 15 is missed?
2: Look at the price sign 14 are here
0: <laughs> Herr Commandant I have to make a report
2: As a matter of fact Schulz
0: I do not want a social chat I want a report fool, Herr Commandant